Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. This is Sarah Powers, and you are listening to one of our very special Voices interview episodes. Um, I am really excited to introduce you today to Kelly Hiltz. She is a kindergarten teacher and mom of two little boys. She's also a podcaster. She co-hosts the Chatty Sisters podcast. And Kelly and I are talking about something that a lot of you have written to us to ask questions about, and that is getting ready for kindergarten. Whether it's a decision to hold your child back a year and wait to enter kindergarten or just how to get ready for that big transition into kindergarten, it's so helpful to hear from an actual kindergarten teacher who is also a mom, and I know you're just going to feel really encouraged. Um, if you don't have an entering kindergartner, I would still encourage you to listen. Kelly and I, Kelly and I get into um, parent-teacher communication, how parents can support what's happening in the classroom in very not intimidating ways, easy, doable ways, and also just kind of peel back the curtain on the life of a teacher who's responsible for 25 kids who don't know how to zip up their coat. I think um, anytime we can get that understanding from the other side, it just helps with that relationship. So it's a really, really great conversation. I know you're going to love it. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. 
Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. This episode is sponsored by Olive in June. And Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together, no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive and June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine. Well, I know the feeling, Megan, and I think it's so fun that with Olive and June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring. Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me. Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. Okay, guys, we're going to get into my conversation with Kelly Hiltz. We're going to talk about getting kids ready for kindergarten and how parents and teachers can work together for the best possible relationships for themselves, for their kids, for our schools and our families. And it's a great conversation. Enjoy. Hey, Kelly, welcome to the Mom Hour. Thanks for having me. So I am really excited about this because you actually reached out to us and sort of rose your hand to be kind of a teacher voice, a kindergarten teacher voice for an interview. And I was like, yes, yes please, because we have a ton of listeners um, who have, you know, who have preschoolers going into kindergarten. Um, and more than one person has specifically requested that we that we talk about this issue of being ready for kindergarten, how to get kids ready for kindergarten, how to know if they're ready. Um, and then more generally, and I'm really excited for the second part of this conversation, we're going to talk about kind of parent-teacher relationships and communication. So I'm really excited that you're here. Thanks. I'm excited too. I definitely feel like this is a hot topic among people when I'm talking to them too. So it makes sense that it would be a hot topic on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, and I just love, I love teachers and I love picking teachers' brains. I think there's so much that if you're not a teacher, you don't have close friends who are teachers, easy to make assumptions. And so I love this, like peel back the curtain a little bit on teacher life. Um, so I'm going to start right in with this big question that so many parents have, which is how to know whether to send their kid to kindergarten in the fall. And you and I are purposely doing this conversation kind of late winter because that's really the timing when this comes up, but let's back up. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for our school where we are, um, I'm actually going to fill out my entering kindergartners enrollment like this week. So it's prime time. Wow. Um, yeah. But I want to back up and kind of figure out how did we how did we get here? Like, why? I don't think this was such a big question when we were growing up. Do you? Uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't as big of a question. I think the kindergarten standards have just increased so much that it's become so hard to do well in kindergarten when you're either a young five or not even five yet. Um, and that's just different than we were like, I mean, do you remember kindergarten at all? Cause it was like the water table yeah, and the big red blocks, Play-Doh. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, how could you really not be ready for that? Right. I mean, you could, but it would be a lot harder. Right. That's so true. So now we have maybe more academic standards to be quote unquote ready for. 
I also yes. feel like cut, what, this like idea of a cutoff birthday or a late birthday, at least where I live in Southern California, and I know you're in New England. Are you in Massachusetts? Yes. Okay. So here, um, it, it actually got earlier. When I was growing up in California, it was December 1st, which means you could enter kindergarten at four as long as you turned five by December 1st. And then at some point between when I was a kid and I had kids, um, it moved to September 1st. So now as long as you turn five by September 1st, um, you can go into kindergarten. But what I will say culturally is in the area where I live, most people hold back summer birthdays. And I'm talking about even June and July kids who are five, two and a half months before the deadline. Do you see this as a trend too? Yeah, I do think um, it's becoming more of a trend. I think part of the reason why the cutoff times have changed is because now we have national standards, which we didn't used to have. Okay. So um, when I was growing up, actually, the cutoff here was September 1st. So that means that like, you know, two places had different cutoffs, but they probably had different standards. So that was fine. But now that we have the same ones, we sort of need to have the same cutoff. And that's still not actually the case that we everywhere has the same cutoff, but that's why cutoffs are changing. Okay. Um, I do think it's a trend, although I almost feel like it's starting to go back the other way again. Okay. I feel like now more people are sending their summer birthdays. Interesting. I, maybe that yeah. hasn't gotten here yet. So, and, and I'm sure yeah. this is regional. I, I know our listeners will chime in with their thoughts, but I know I've also heard from people that this, this becomes a hot topic, especially with summer birthdays. And I don't feel like summer birthdays used to be a question at all. Maybe, and maybe that's my own, yeah. like just kind of cluing into it now. I have a June 1st boy who I did not hold back. He was very ready. It wasn't a question for me, but in his peer group, a June boy is like a rare unicorn. And that's, and that's June. We're not talking about July and August. Um, And boys in particular, I think across the board tend to be held back more. Um, So he is like a, he is like a rare find in his grade. So there are many, many boys a full year older than he is. And maybe in, in a little bit, we can get into maybe the pros and cons of that. But I just I just yeah. find it interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the problem with the cutoff thing is like, OK, if you then move the cutoff because most people aren't sending their boys, then people will start not sending their May, right. April birthday. Right. You know, like eventually it's just out of control. That's what I feel like it has gotten to here. And um, I don't I guess I can't personally speak to what's good and bad about that. I just find it really interesting that in in less than a generation, it seems to really this question keeps coming up and keeps pushing earlier and earlier, which then if we think of our, about our listeners who have two and three year olds and are thinking ahead, I feel like the pressure just trickles down. Like now yeah. it's like, well, I'm going to wait another year to start preschool or whatever. So yeah. I don't know. I, I do well, feel like it kind of creates a frenzy that maybe is not necessary. Yeah. And preschool actually doesn't help the situation because I don't know about you guys, but around here, preschool starts at two years, nine months, mm-hmm. which just creates another element of confusion because then some kids are going to preschool for three years and some right. are going for two. And parents who have like kids in September, are like, yes. I can't believe my child can't go to kindergarten yet, I'm yes. like, but they're not five. Like that's right. normal. No, I think you're right. And I, I didn't know about the, the specific two years and nine months age, but we do for public schools here, we have what's called transitional kindergarten just for those. Um, they are like third year preschoolers because they can't okay. go to kindergarten yet, but they are, have fall birthdays. And so it's actually a public school program called TK or tr- transitional kindergarten. Okay. And it has to look exactly like the kindergarten program, but just for those fall birthdays, which 
I don't know. I ha- I don't have any kids with fall birthdays. I can't speak to it personally. I do feel like it's a very specific thing to offer <laughs> to solve this kind of curious problem. Yeah, so. I guess I just don't really understand like why that's necessary and like why some kids should get that just because they're fall birthday kids because then they have like this advantage going in that they already would have had because they're older. I don't right. know. Right. Really interesting. Um, okay, so let's actually get into kind of how you define readiness as a teacher. I when we when we brainstormed this episode, I said, Kelly, I don't want people to think they have to do flashcards with their three and four year olds, and no. you're like, neither do I. So yeah, let's no, talk I don't about like flashcards. Yeah, when we talk about kindergarten readiness, we're talking about this in a really encouraging, accessible way. We're not talking about teaching your kid to learn before to learn to read before kindergarten. So what are we yes. talking about in terms of readiness? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things to get your child ready for kindergarten or look at to see if they're ready is actually more of like the independent skills, like just life independence. Like, okay. can they put on their own shoes, their own coats? Um, maybe not like fully zip themselves, but like by the beginning of kindergarten, they should really be zipping their coat themselves if they, if possible. Okay. Um, even like going to the bathroom, like I was just listening to your episode <laughs> about, um, like other adults and you guys were talking about like other adults wiping them but like in kindergarten at public school at least we can't do that sure and I often have kids ask me like can you wipe me and I'm like yeah no I I can't so So like they need to at least be able to like I'm not saying they're amazing wipers like I get it I have a (laughs) four-year-old but like at least enough to get themselves through the day so that you can like kind of fix the situation when they get home (laughs) yeah so like that kind of stuff is more important and I also think like um, you know, like being able to open some of their stuff for their lunch, like even yeah. their willingness to do it. So like a lot of kids like can't physically open like a bag of cheddar bunnies. But if they're willing, if the teacher says like, here are the scissors, right. go over and cut it. Like, will they actually do it or will they and it just doesn't, keep asking? It doesn't them? shock them that it's their responsibility. Like they've, exactly. you know, they may not be totally competent, but it's they've understood that they should be or that they could be. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think that is like one of the biggest thing is just that kind of stuff, especially, you know, if you live somewhere where they're going to have to be putting on like boots and snow pants a few months into the year, like they really need to be able to do that stuff relatively on their own. I'm not saying we're not going to help at all, but sure. like we have 20 something kids right. and we got to get outside, right. you know? Um, so I feel like that is probably the biggest thing. Like when they come home from school, are they able to like hang up their own backpack? Or are you still really doing that for them? Um, that kind of thing is just really helpful for a kindergarten. Do you see a wide variety? I mean, I'm sure you do of kids coming in with those skills and without them. Do you think there's some, I, I imagine there's some birth order too. I feel like oldest children tend to not necessarily have those skills or they may not have had the chance to develop them. Whereas I know my youngest who will yeah. be going to kindergarten in the fall. So she's my last kindergartner is like, I yeah. don't know. I feel like she could she could do any of that by herself, but it's just because that's the way our family's set up now. And she's exposed to so many. Exactly. And they, kids. Yeah. Yeah. And they see other people, their other siblings doing it. So they want to do it. Whereas mm-hmm. like what motivation does my four-year-old have to do that himself? Right. No one else is doing it. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think a birth order is part of it. Personality is a lot of it. I used to think it was a lot more about parenting and then I had a lot of siblings and I realized, nope, it has nothing to do with parents. Well, not nothing to do. I mean, right. you can obviously help your kids with yeah. this, but I think a lot of it, like I've had kids where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, are their parents just do everything for them at home? And then I have the sibling and the sibling does everything. And I'm like, interesting. Oh, so that wasn't it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. I feel like yeah. we can just talk about that forever. 
Um, well, kind of staying along the same lines, I like, let's say a parent or mom and dad are really on the fence. They truly have a cutoff birthday. It really could go either way. And they're just super, super torn. I'm sure you've had friends and, you know, people in your school community like this. Do you feel like there's some good trusted sources? Like if they really did want to ask, is my kid ready for kindergarten? Um, is the preschool teacher a good source? Is the pediatrician a good source? Or do people go and have kids evaluated? Like if they really do want outside help, where does that help come from? I mean, I don't think that you need to have your kid evaluated. I th- certainly think you should have your kid evaluated if you're actually worried about like special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the preschool should be a good source and I wish they were. Oh, interesting. But I don't find in practice that they often tell parents that kids aren't ready. I feel like it's I feel like either they're not really sure about the realities of kindergarten and they think like, well, they're doing fine in this environment, so they should be fine with more, but then they're not. Okay. Or they just, in some situations, like especially in public situations, they actually can't say, you have to kind of be aware of like what preschool teachers are allowed to say when you ask them. Okay. Um, Because if in a public situation, for example, they said they weren't ready, then they'd be expected to like pay for your child to be in school for another year. Hmm. Okay. So I see what you're saying. They, so yeah. So they really can't say that because they would get in trouble. Um. So I think that they're a good source of information as far as like asking them, like, how is my kid with independence? How are they with focus? Like, and not just focus on things that they care about and their it's their preference, but like how are they with focus on things that they're not as interested in? Can mm-hmm. they sit and listen to a story and maybe listen to like another kid share something about their weekend that may not be as interesting to them? Um, so I think a preschool teacher is a good resource to ask, but not but not necessarily take exactly what they say as a 100%. And if I'm understanding you correctly, it's almost like you have to ask really specific benchmark questions rather than ask, is my kid ready for kindergarten, which is sort of a loaded question, but you could ask things like, how does my kid, you know, behave during a circle time where they're expected to sit still or how independent is my kid at opening his lunchbox? So that is really, I think that's really helpful because I think those are questions parents could ask a preschool teacher, but you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, and a lot of us want just, a lot of us want somebody to just tell us what the right answer is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I wish that they could, but I just think it does. I've seen a lot of instances where parents say, I asked the preschool and they said they were ready and you know, it's the first month of kindergarten and (laughs) both the parents and I are like, okay, well, we're just going to work through this, but it would have been better if we all waited another year. So that's where I wanted to go was, was you had mentioned that before a kid that, you know, everybody said was probably ready and then isn't, what does that look like in your classroom in the first few weeks? Um, or what might it look like in the spring and summer if a, if a parent's on the fence? So tell me about a kid who's really not ready for kindergarten. Um, okay. So I guess a lot of the things that come up are, um, some of that independent stuff that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. like just needing help with literally everything. Like at the end of the day, I have the kids Um, get like their notices from their mailbox Mm -hmm. and put it into their folder and then put that in their backpack. It's the kids where like every day you find their folder still on the table. It's not in their backpack. And it's just like every little like if if it was just that, that wouldn't be a big deal. But it's like everything throughout the day is like that. Like when when we finish something and I tell them to put it in their mailbox and it's like strewn across the classroom in the reading area, like 
just their independence is it's not like executive functioning kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Like my fourth grader maybe is still like does that yeah. sometimes, but no. And, and again, I, we don't want to scare parents and there are some kids who will naturally be good at that kind of stuff. And some kids who will always struggle, but that's really correct. What's really good to know. So what are, what is maybe the downside of sending a kid like that? Who's not ready, who would have benefited um, from the extra year. I mean, what are the downsides for the kid and the parents and you and the classroom? Yeah, I think the downside for the kid is that they come to see school as something hard and sort of frustrating. Yeah. And so obviously we try to like help them in any way possible. And there are a lot of supports in place for kids. Um, but I don't know, you have so many years of school to go, like yeah. 13 years of school to go. And I sort of feel like my the best thing I can give a child in kindergarten is not even individual skills, but more like a feeling of like school is fun. Yeah, this is fun. Like learning is fun. And if you make it so hard for them, then they're not going to feel that way. Most kids, unless yeah. they have like this amazing personality where they just like really enjoy being challenged. <laughs> <laughs> but most kids won't feel that way. Yeah. Um, it can and then, be hard socially too, but that's sort of a different issue altogether. Okay. And then what about the flip side? Are there any downsides you see of, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of like, this is sort of a trend now of holding back just for the sake of holding back or just because everybody else is doing it. Do you see some downsides from kids who were, who waited a year and now are older and maybe more capable and might've benefited from just going when they were five? I'm curious. I think the only um, real downside that I've seen with waiting is that some kids then school is so easy for them Mm -hmm. that they kind of get like, Oh, this is so easy. I don't really have to put in a lot of effort. Right. And then when things get hard, they really shut down because they're so used to not having to really put in a lot of effort. Right. Um, okay. So that's good. But it does sound like, like from your perspective, um, many kids benefit from that extra year and that independence and confidence and all that. And I know, I know you would never say like point blank, there's one right way, but it does sound like you kind of lean that way. Yeah. I think I lean that way. It definitely depends on the kid when people ask me, but I mean, it's just, it's crazy when you think about like now, you know, you've had kids like some children who are born in September are already walking Mm-hmm. When kids who are born in June are just born or maybe mm-hmm. not walking, yeah. but like sitting up and doing all these things. And that's only five years earlier. Yeah. So the year age gap at this age is really big. Yeah. Um, and so that and that's going to happen no matter when the cutoff is, no matter sure. when you start school, somebody's going to have to be the youngest. Sure. And so from a broad societal perspective, it'd be better if we weren't all holding our kids back. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> When you're thinking about your individual child, right. you obviously want what's best for them. And so that's where the t- tough decision yeah. comes in. But it's not like anything horrible is going to happen either way. I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up. I really wanted to make sure everyone knows you're going to make many decisions around school for your kids over the years. Yep. And I think Megan and I have said this, like, it's really important to not see each decision as like a make it or break it. Everything is exactly. correctable. Um, And in fact, I did want to ask that. Do you have kids who maybe go in and could have benefited from an extra year of preschool, but um, instead do kindergarten twice? I feel like when I was growing up, that happened a lot. Is that still happen where you are? That still happens. I wouldn't say it happens a lot. Right. Um, It has to be like a pretty severe situation. And so I guess 
you know, if your child just is struggling like the first month of kindergarten and you're like, oh gosh, they're going to have to repeat, like they're probably not going to have right, to. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but they're definitely, I mean, I can, you know, I've had, let's see, I've been teaching like 11 years and I've probably had like four or five kids okay. who stay back. I know I have um, had friends who do like kind of a creative middle of the road solution. And that is look for a maybe a private kindergarten or like a preschool fives program. It depends on, mm-hmm. you know, where you live, what the options are um, and purposely do almost kindergarten twice, but do it instead of going right into the public school or the school where that child is going to do their whole school career. They might yes. do one year at like a Montessori or a private kinder and then enter kinder the following year at their school where they're going to remain. Does that make sense? And yep, I, I think I that s- is creative. And I think that could work really well for certain families and certain kids. I get why parents wouldn't want a kid to repeat kinder in their school where they're going to remain. I think there's some social, I'm sure there's some social implications of that. And just, yeah, it's not as bad as people think it will be. Um, it's always gone fine when we've done it. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Like if you can plan for it, that would be the way to do it because I do think people are like, why do I want to do another year of preschool? Like all the kids' friends are going on, yeah. you know, and they just feel, and so I feel like the option isn't stay at your current preschool or go to kindergarten. It could be like looking for another place in the yeah. middle and that yeah. could really work. And I've had several friends have really good success for that. And I know some preschool programs have either a pre-K or a kinder type program where you can really even stay stay there, but maybe move into a new class, have a kindergarten curriculum. And yet, you know, in the back of your mind, this is really like a pre-K year or a kindergarten first time around year. Um, So I've seen that work really well. Um, Yeah, I think that can work really well. The other thing I wanted to say was like on the flip side of the downsides of sending the kid or not sending the kid, uh there's also upsides that either way your child's going to get something good out of it. So if you send them early and they struggle a little bit, they're getting something good out of struggling because they're learning how to overcome obstacles in their schooling, which is important. And then on the flip side, if you send them later and you're like, Ooh, it's kind of easy for them. A lot of those kids really learn how to be like a leader and help Mm -hmm. other kids. And that's a really good life skill. Yeah. So either way, they're going to get something good out of it. So I feel like instead of seeing it as like, there's a downside either way, you could see it as like, there this is going to work out either way. And we have two possible positives here. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And having observed my own kids again, none of my kids oddly enough have cut off birthdays. So I haven't really had to deal with this issue, but I have observed that like a lot of the decisions we make at this age are based on how we know our kid as a four-year-old. And I just want to say like kids grow and develop the kid who is so shy that they don't, my oldest, like didn't say anything to anyone for the first year and a half of preschool, like at all. And she's completely socially comfortable. And even I would say outgoing now, um, at nine and a half, almost 10. And, and there's a million stories like that. So I would caution parents to not make a decision or at least to seek outside counsel. If you're just basing it on a set of behaviors of a four-year-old because they are going to grow and change so much. But I know yes. that's really, that's really hard not to do. Cause that's the only kid, you know, you don't know what they're yeah, going to Yeah, I actually like. think other parents are really good resources for oh, this. I've good. had some parents of older kids tell me, you know, I wish that I held my child back, not because of kindergarten, but because like in middle school yeah. then they wanted to get Instagram when they were only nine, yeah. all their friends were getting, <laughs> you know, like that yes. kind of thing. Yep. And that's the kind of stuff you're not thinking about, yep. you know, when your child is four. Yeah. 
I think that's, oh, that's such a good point. Um, and I'm sure there's benefits that. of sending them early on the other, on the older sure. end too, but I just don't know, you know, I don't know them. So I right. think parents of older kids are actually a really good people to ask in this situation too, not just teachers and things like that. I love that. And, and, and yeah, parents whose kids are a little farther ahead because I know exactly. when I was in that stage, most of my friends, we all had kids entering kindergarten the same year, but I didn't know very many people who were farther ahead. So seek out those mm-hmm. people for sure. Um, yeah. well, well, before we wrap up kind of this first half of the topic, I let's, let's say now that we have a kid going into kindergarten in the fall for sure. Like I do, I have my last yep. kindergartner. Um, and a lot of, I know a lot of our listeners do, um, if, if parents aren't worried about holding the child back and are definitely going, but just want to, you know, make sure that kid has a successful start. We've talked about some of the independent, um, kind of life skills, anything else that we can do between March and August with these entering kindergartners, just to make sure that they have the best possible start in your class. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I haven't mentioned anything academic yet, but I think if you, you know, um, read with them a lot and ask them questions about the book, um, keeping everything fun, like doing fine motor practice, but, but I don't mean like buying a workbook and making them sit yeah. there and write the letter a 50 million times. I mean, like, don't do that. Play-Doh. people. Please don't yeah, do that. Please, don't, please do that. don't do that. I really don't mean do that. Um, I mean like get Play-Doh and play with that because that's really good for like developing those fine motor skills or, um, beads. I love like, beads, like stringing beads. Is beads another yes. One. Yes. I just bought my four-year-old beads actually for that exact reason. Um, so stringing beads is really fun. I mean, there's so many things like just getting them coloring, like when it's, I mean, Valentine's Day already passed, but like, maybe, you know, you want to make like mother's day cards for like the grandmothers and you and stuff like that. Just getting them involved in that kind of stuff, but keeping it really fun. I feel like can really help just set the tone for kindergarten. It's developing those skills, but it's also like teaching them that learning is fun, like going to the library with them and picking out books about a subject that they care about and stuff like that. Um, counting like everything. My son is like super into like counting. He likes to count like 10 times and then jump into the pool and yeah. swimming, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, I feel like that kind of stuff just really gets them ready for kindergarten. I love that. I, I mean, I, I feel like we could talk for another 30 minutes just about that. And I really want to emphasize especially the pressure to have kids reading or almost reading. I mean, yeah. please just read to your kid. Like just read aloud to your kids. Yes. Just Agreed. Listen. Don't make them read at all. There's no. really no reason to do that yet. Um unless they're like really showing interest or something, but otherwise I wouldn't. And then the other thing is um for when you're planning to start the year, um like, you know, this will be more of this summer or whatever. Don't sign your kid up for like a million things after school because kindergarten yes. is really tiring at yes. first. So in fact, I would try to avoid like almost any, except I know everybody likes to do like soccer, at least around here for like fall. And that's like on Saturday morning. So fine. But like, obviously if your kid has to go to after school, that's one thing, but don't sign them up for like another activity on top of that because they're just going to be tired. I a hundred percent agree. We, we don't do anything new in the fall. If we, now my kids are starting to be a little older. So if they had current activities, we'd stick with them. But I still, even with my older kids, we don't add anything new in the fall. Because I think that's I, really smart. I just everybody needs an adjustment. And as your kids get older, it's not just kindergarten. Every new grade has some new, you know, challenges and changes to the schedule. I would say one final thing too to add maybe on the summer prep is sleep schedules. Like I know there are there are some four and a half, five year olds who still really like a nap. And I think it's up to each parent how they deal with that. But 
Um, yeah. Thinking about what that school day is going to look like, they are so tired for that first like two months of kindergarten. Yeah, they're so they tired. Are. They and then yeah. also, I'm sure you've noticed, but sometimes they're also wired. Like they come home and they're like overly because they've had to be so good all day. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So just yeah, expect yeah, I hear that. that a lot from parents. That yes. They just melt down when they get home. That's happening to everyone. So yes. don't worry. Yeah, it totally is. And it's if the only thing you do is not add any crazy new after school activities, you just will be more prepared for it. It's not gonna it's not gonna make it not happen, but um Correct. just a little way to set yourself up. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, I am back here with Kelly. We just talked a lot about kinder, little kinders. Um, but now we're going to talk more generally about um, how parents and teachers can really work together, which again, I feel like this could be a five-part series. I love this topic, and Kelly, I know you do too. So we'll try and yes. offer as, as many tips as we can in a short time. So um, I guess my first question is now you've, you're a teacher for over a decade, and now you have a couple of kids of your own. But from the teacher side, what do you think teachers wish that parents understood? I just think the biggest thing is like understanding that we can't only worry about like one child at a time. We have so, you know, we have 20 something to worry about. So even like as a parent, I sometimes I'm like, oh, well, I wish the teacher didn't do that. But then I always just try to assume like they had a reason and it probably had to do with the whole class and not necessarily just my child. And yeah. I think a lot of the misunderstandings between teachers and parents are like when parents expect that everything that happens in the classroom will be like a hundred percent perfect for their child. Right. And we just can't look at it that way. We, we wish we could honestly, right. right. But we can't. No, I know. And I think you, as a kinder teacher, you probably, unfortunately you have the job of sort of educating parents on that yes. because it's their first, well, unless they're like me and they've gone through it a couple of times, but if it's their oldest, it's their yeah. first time and it's kind of a rude awakening. Um, I mean, yeah. preschool, there's some of that. Um, but usually for most people entering kinder is like entering the big system. And it's yeah. a shock to realize like you really are kind of just a number. And I don't mean that like because teachers are so caring and they really do care about each kid. But you are one yeah. twenty fifth of the equation. You're not exactly the answer. So their or the, reason yeah. for doing things might be for the good of the whole yeah. class. Yeah. Um, do you have, do you have like certain types of parents that drive you crazy? I don't want you to feel like you have to throw anybody under the bus. You can be very anonymous, but also I know we have listeners who are like, I don't want to be the 
te- the parent that drives the teacher crazy. So what's <laughs> like, what's your pet peeve parent like? Yeah, the funny thing is I'm now that parent. Like, I don't <laughs> want to drive the teacher crazy. Um, I think that honestly, like, I mostly just like parents who are kind and respectful to me mm-hmm. while advocating for their child. I think it's great to advocate for your child. I think it's important. And actually, to be honest with you, and it might just be like, where like I grew up in like kind of the suburbs with like intense parenting and now Mm -hmm. I teach in that environment. So Mm -hmm. I actually prefer the like overly involved versus like we don't really care at all and I can't get a hold of you type of parents. Um, But I think that, and that's definitely like a preference. I think some teachers are like, yeah, I'd rather you just don't even speak to me the whole year. Right. Um, But I think like when, when you're advocating for your child or when you're being involved, like just always remembering that like the teacher's a person too. Like, I think my least favorite thing is like when I come into work at 7am and I've got like this overly emotional email from a parent at 11 o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. basically accusing me of like, you know, not being aware of a social situation or accusing me of like, you know, something with their kid. And it's like, okay, if you had just waited until the next morning and not wrote me that email at 11 o'clock last night when you were upset, it would have been a much more respectful email to me. And you might have realized like there's probably more to the story. and. That so, kind of thing. so going with that example, um, what would the ideal thing to do? Because we do get emotional. We do get wound up. Um, would yeah. requesting an in-person meeting be best? I actually love email. So I love when I can solve as many things as possible by email, but I understand it has limitations. And for sure, what you described is not ideal. So what are some options yeah. instead of firing off that 11 o'clock No, email? I love email too. So I'm definitely not against the email. I'd much rather get things done in email than in person, actually, because in person is just so hard to like schedule yes. between parents' schedules and mine. And yeah. email is awesome. I pretty much use it exclusively. <laughs> not exclusively, but right. close. Um, but I just don't want the like reactive email. Like instead of being like, why did this happen? And da da da, more like, you know, Johnny came home from school today and said this, I'm sure I'm not getting the whole story. Can mm-hmm. you shed some light on the situation would be much better right. than like totally reactive, angry email. Right. right. Another thing I've tried to do in my emails to teachers is be as specific as possible. Um, just because I know that they have, like we've said, 30 kids. Um, and they also don't know my kids ins and outs, like, at, you know, especially if it's at the beginning of the year. Um, so I yeah. try to like figure out what's the, mo- what's the thing I would like their, um, response, like what's the thing I would most like to discuss with them. And then everything else just kind of leave it aside because like yeah. you said, it is, you have to kind of pick your battles like with anything. Um, and I think we have a tendency to over explain or like bring, ev- bring up everything at once. Um, so yeah. I, tr- I try to like pick one thing. And I also try and put some nice things in the email too. Like, yes, you know, like Rita's just like coming we home do really when happy. we're sending yeah. home notes about the kids. Exactly. exactly. You should do the same. <laughs> exactly. I always try and tell them like what my kid is loving about class or what I'm loving yeah. about, you know, whatever. So I think that matters a lot. Like I know we're adults and we shouldn't necessarily need like positive reinforcement all the time, but I think you'll get a much better response if you do something like that. Oh, and as I mean, as our listeners who are moms and stay at home moms can attest to, like we're hard enough on ourselves already about how we're raising our kids and the choices that we're making. So if somebody says, 
I love your kid. They're doing, you're doing a great job. Here's one yes. thing that I have a question about. And that can go both ways, teacher to parent yes. or parent to teacher. I feel like yes. that's just- No, I completely agree with that. Um, okay. Well, I, that's actually encouraging to hear that you can, can do a lot of that by email because I do feel like setting up a conference is like held out there as this thing you're supposed to do. And I, for no. all the reasons you mentioned, it's hard sometimes. Not that it's yeah. never, I mean, sometimes it is the right thing. Uh, but it's helpful to know that you like to communicate by email. Yeah, too. no, I definitely do. And I think I, I actually don't mind getting a good amount of emails. I would much rather a parent just come to me like as soon as they start getting worried about something. Yes. I really can't stand. This is another thing. I don't know if this is strictly like suburban parenting or you know schools, but like I can't stand when the parents are like, well, I was talking to all the other parents and oh, this. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Why didn't you just come to me? Yep. Yes. Before you like went and like rattled off all your anger, yes. you know, to everyone else. And I get it. Like we're all friends and obviously I'm going to speak to my friends when I'm frustrated about something, but like, it's a little too close for comfort when you yeah. inform the teacher that you were talking bad about them. Yeah. Well, and that, and that they didn't come to you first. Um, we have a very small yeah. elementary school and it's a kind of like a upstart charter. So it's a very close community, which has benefits and drawbacks. Um, but our principal is very accessible and very um, connected to the community. But because of that, there has been issue with people going directly to the principal. So I want to throw it out there that always, always, always bring something up with the teacher. If you have a teacher who's not willing to work with you, principals are great resources, but you you can't go there first. Am I right? Yes. No, I completely agree. I, I by some miracle, have never had a parent go over my head first. Yeah, um, that's great. But I really appreciate if they don't. <laughs> I have heard teachers say it's like one of the, it's one of the um, trust, most trust destroying things you can do in that relationship. Yes. And I think we can all think about that, but I think it depends on the school community and the, and the principal. We have a really involved, charismatic, wonderful leader of a principal. The downside of that is I do think it makes families feel like they could go right to her. And even if yeah. they didn't mean to overstep or, you know, go around the teacher, just, just to point that out, um, no matter how hands-on and wonderful your school's leader is, I think all teachers want to hear from you first before involving yeah. the administration. Yeah. And sometimes there's situations where the principal actually is the best person. Like if yeah. it's curriculum or like something yeah. that like, I just don't have full control over, but yeah. at least if you go to me first, I can be like, you know, you should talk to so-and-so about this because it's kind of a little bit out of my hands, yep. but I agree with you or whatever. Yep. And that, that we had that exact issue this year. And I, um, just cause it wasn't my first rodeo. I knew I should sit down with the teacher because I knew she'd feel really rotten if I went straight to the principal. And I knew it was probably going to result in a meeting with the principal, which it did, but it, it still yep. made it a collaborative process. And I just think teachers yep. deserve that, that respect. Um, I feel like I'm talking more than you are. I'm getting all fired up about this. No, no I, um, you, you guys have a lot of knowledge about this <laughs> after having lots of kids go through. Um, so I'm curious to get back to my questions here. Um, are there any kind of patterns you see about the kids who do really well, not just in kindergarten, but in elementary school? I mean, of course, there's no magic solution, but what kind of parents and what kind of homes are those kids coming from where they're able to just really thrive in school? I don't mean they're the smartest, but just that they're they're succeeding in school. Um, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of it doesn't actually have to do with what you do. I don't know if that takes the pressure off or makes it more stressful. Yeah. But a lot of it is just the personality of the kid that you were given. Yeah. <laughs> um, whether they thrive in kindergarten and in school or not, some kids are just school kids and some are not, but you yeah. definitely can set them up for success. You mentioned sleep stuff over the summer. Like 
the kinds of families where they don't get home at 1130 p.m. the night before going back to school. Mm -hmm. Like they've, you know, made sure that their kids had some time to like get adjusted and start the earlier bedtimes and um, not planning, you know, tons of stuff outside of school so they can kind of focus on what they're doing, but then also that are very close and have good relationships and things like that. I mean, all of that stuff that's just good parenting Mm -hmm. makes your kid do better in school. Okay. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And it is a good reminder that there's so much of it that it does take the pressure off, that it's not, we're not making or breaking this. That's really helpful to hear. Um, Okay. Well, we have to talk about volunteering and helping in the classroom and and the pressure that exists there. Megan and I did an episode a million years ago, very early on about the myth of the good school mom and just just ways to be a helpful, involved parent at school that don't necessarily involve classroom parties and field trips. Um, But I would love to talk about this from the teacher perspective, because I think you probably get a lot of gung-ho parents. And like you said, in affluent suburbia, there are often uh, plenty of parents to get involved. Um, But how, how can this work well for both the kid, the parent, and the teacher? Yeah, I think the first thing I know you guys have talked before many times about like not being all about over volunteering. And I think honestly, like I don't actually care if parents volunteer at all. I only set up opportunities because I know that a lot of parents like to do it. It's Mm -hmm. not like I genuinely am like, wow, I really need help right now. Let me call on a parent to do this. Um, I mean, maybe if I had someone who could come like really consistently and had some like background knowledge and like helping, that'd be one thing. Right. But usually it's just like a one off opportunity and I don't need that. I, I could just avoid doing that entirely. So it's not like I don't like parents who don't volunteer. It's kind of like I have no opinion one way or the other. Yeah. If you do volunteer or you don't, I guess that's like one thing. Yeah. Um, is there ways that um, parents who can't volunteer during the day for parties and field trips and stuff, either because of full-time work or because of babies and toddlers at home, which was me for a long time, yes. um, are there other ways to feel like they can contribute or ways that you are able to involve those parents in your class? Yeah. So some of the things that I do are like, you know, asking for supplies, like mm-hmm. wipes or even like can, um, I really like to have Play-Doh that's made because I mm-hmm. just find it's way better. Mm-hmm. But like, especially before I had kids, it's one thing now, but, but like before I had kids, I like destroyed a pan trying to make Play-Doh <laughs> for my own classroom. And I was like, why am I doing this? Um, so I asked the parents to do it. And like, now that I have kids, I realize like, that's just a fun thing to do on a Sunday morning when right. you're just trying to occupy time. So like that kind of thing, like if the teacher asks for like Play-Doh, you can volunteer to make some or, um, you know, like, being willing to like make the list for like of everyone's address Mm -hmm. for like the directory or things like that, like that you can do at night Mm -hmm. um, or during nap time. If you have younger kids, Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of stuff's actually really helpful because that can be really time consuming for teachers. And especially if they don't have young kids, it might just not fit in well with their life. Yeah. And it might fit in better for you. So I think that's kind of like um, the best thing, but yeah, I don't think you have to be involved in your kid's school for your child to do well or for the teacher to like you. I think that's just, you know, if it works well for your schedule and you like right. doing it, then do it. But right. that's not like what we're looking for in families. That's so encouraging. And also, I think what it gives people permission to do is think about where their unique strengths might be useful to a teacher. Um, that's yes. definitely. And I mean, our listeners have heard me say this, but one of my favorite things to do is to have them send pencils home for me to sharpen. 
So if you've ever been in like a first, second, third grade classroom where they're using more pencils regularly, like none of them are sharpened. None of them have erasers. And it's totally like they just send them home in a bag and I sharpen them and send them back to school. And it's like an amazing job that I might start asking parents to do. And I love it because I really like to be actually useful. Like that's part of my personality. So to me, that's like all you have to do is be in a classroom for five seconds to know that it's needed. So I know it has a huge impact, but it also takes almost no time. I have a really good electric pencil sharpener and I know Mm -hmm. that I'm making a difference and I didn't even have to talk to anybody, which makes me sound like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a total hermit, but I would really prefer not to show up for jogathons and field trips and things. It's just not, it's not my strength. And so I'd much rather give my gifts, my volunteering gifts in ways that are fun for me too. And I think there's so many ways to do that. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure it takes a while even for new teachers and then new parents to figure out what those are. So, you know, yeah, that is one thing. If your child has a new teacher kind of expect that they're probably not going to ask a lot because they just don't know yet what they need help with. Right. That's true. So that's, you know, but I mean, honestly, like, especially if you have multiple kids, like maybe this year you don't help a lot, but then next year you do, you know, it doesn't have to be. Like if you have a new baby, just take the pressure off and be like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything this year. And it's yep. fine. Yeah. I, yes, I a hundred percent agree with that. And, and remember too, that all the things we talked about, about, you know, sending a kid who is well-rested and can exactly. zip up their coat and who has ever had a story read to them in their lives. Like those are ways you're contributing to the classroom culture without ever doing anything else. Other than- that matters so much more that. And also, um, like ha- trying to always tell your child that like they need to include everyone and, you know, play with kids who nobody's playing with. Like if you, I know that's also based on your child and that Mm -hmm. might not have anything to do with you, but if you continue to emphasize that over and over again, that's gonna, like you said, really help the culture of the classroom more than you coming to help the library, like organize their books. Right. Right. Um, okay. Well, that was really encouraging. And, um, I, So appreciate that insight from the other side. So let's talk real quickly before we wrap up about what you are doing outside of teaching right now. So you are on an extended leave, you said. So tell me how old your kids are and what your life is like right now. Yep. So I have a four-year-old who I I went back to work when he was three months old. And then when I had my 15-month-old, I decided to take the rest of the school year off. So he was born in November 2016. Okay. Um, and then I decided at the end of that, that I would take one more year. Um, so now I've been home with him like since he was born and, and also home with my four-year-old, but he goes to school three days a week. Um, and then I'm going back in September. Oh, you are. Okay. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling pretty good about it. I think I'm ready. I mean, I'm a little worried about like just the amount of time that I'll be away from just like the logistics of the household. Like when's all this laundry going to get done kind of thing. Um, but I'm excited to like, you know, have a little more purpose to my day again. I love that. I love that. And, um, you know, teaching I'm sure has its ups and downs, but that's so cool that you were able to take that leave and, um, that you get to go back kind of on, on your terms in a way. I have a lot of teacher friends, some of whom job share, some of whom take a few years off. So I wish you guys were paid a whole lot more, but I do think it's, I think it's so great that those that that those options are built in. Um, so that's agreed. It's yeah. a very good park. Yeah. And tell us about the chatty sisters podcast. Yeah. So while I was first on maternity leave, my sister and I, my sister is, she doesn't have kids. 
Um, She's five years younger than me. She's about to get married this summer, but she's a full-time photographer. So she works kind of like different hours. She's mostly does weddings. So Mm -hmm. she does a lot of weekends and things like that. So she has the weekdays off, which has been really, or at least she has a more flexible schedule during the week. I should say they're not completely off, but um, so that's been really great for me to have someone home with me. Um, I, you know, like she's not home at the She doesn't live in my house, but yeah, like she I know comes over a lot and yeah. plays with my kids and stuff. She's babysitting my kids right now, actually. Um, and so we decided it'd be fun to start a podcast together. We, we kind of like, you know, both had blogs and things like that. Um, so we sort of listened to a lot of podcasts, thought it would be fun to start one. So we started one called Chatty Sisters about a year ago. And our premise is basically just like we talk about kind of random things, like sort of like the kind of things that you guys talk about in your more than mom series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But we come from sort of different perspectives because I'm like, you know, the stay at home mom teacher and she like owns her own business and doesn't have kids yet. So we feel like it's kind of like interesting to hear both sides. Love it. Love it. Well, our listeners should definitely go check that out. I assume they can just search Chatty Sisters podcast wherever they get podcasts. And and your website is? Um, I think it's just chatty sisters podcast.com and we're on Instagram at chatty sisters podcast too. So I love it. Well, I know podcast lovers are always looking for more podcasts to listen to. So you guys should go check that out for sure. And listen to Kelly and her sister. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being here. I, um, I just feel like hopefully we, like I said, peeled back the curtain, let people see behind the scenes and also hopefully really, um, encourage people to not freak out quite so much about impending kindergarten i hope so it's not that scary it's mostly fun it's mostly fun absolutely (laughs) well thanks kelly so much and thanks for having me all right thanks Hey, everyone. We have a favor to ask. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, can you check really quickly to make sure you're still following the mom hour? Apple did one of their big software updates recently, and it changed a bunch of things about how you get the podcasts you're subscribed to. If Apple Podcasts is your podcast app of choice, all you have to do is find your way to our show page and then click the little plus sign or follow in the top right corner. Thanks so much. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N-Francis.substack.com.